0: I am the one who is 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 الله وَكُلَّ 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 فِي So today we continue our series of lessons uh, taken from the lectures of Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabiri. Hafizahullah who is from the scholars, contemporary scholars uh, from al Madina and Nabawiyyah. And in the previous lesson we looked at the hadith of Muawiyyah anhu. Uh, relating to the uh, Allah giving uh, the uh, understanding to a person, to whomsoever Allah Allah intends to show goodness, May Yuri bihi Khaira, din To whomsoever Allah intends to show goodness, he gives him understanding of the religion. Uh, so we discussed that hadith uh, looked at the Sheikh's commentary and I just wanted to, before we move on to uh, today's lesson, uh, which is on the verse in Surah Al-An'am, uh, which follows after the story of Ibrahim Al-Islam. Before we look at that verse, I wanted to just tar- clarify one point, which is that uh, relating to Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. So I mentioned, uh, mentioning many of the virtues and the excellencies of this companion, Muawiyah, that he was, that some of the scholars describe, described him as the uncle of the believers Khalul Mu'mineen and that's because uh, his, uh, the messenger of Allah was married to uh, his uh, sister so there was an issue as to can we really say, can we really describe Mu'awiyah with this title and so the scholars have, have discussed this uh, issue and from them is Shaykh al Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And he discusses this issue in Minhaj al Sunnah, in his book Minhaj al Sunnah. This is a book which is a refutation of the Rafida, of the Shia, who basically attack the companions. And from them is Muawiyah. So here, he basically explains. I won't, I won't read all of it, I'll just summarize basically what he says. Uh, so he says that um, we know that the wives. Of the Prophet they have the position and the status of being the mothers of the believers, right? And they are forbidden to marry. And so after this, the scholars they differed or they disputed about the brothers of the wives of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And can we say about them that they are the uncles of the believers? Right, So the scholars uh, differed. So some basically said, uh, yes, we can say about one of them that he is the uncle of the believers. And so Ibn Atim says, in this case, this applies not just to Muawiyah, it applies to many. It applies to Abdurrahman and Muhammad, who are the uh, sons of Abu Bakr. And it applies to many of the other companions as well, like the sons of Umar and others. So he basically says that some of the scholars said that we shouldn't really apply this title, "uncle of the believers," to anybody, because if we did this, then um, it would mean that they also would be forbidden to marry, and many other rulings would follow on from that, right? Which obviously, which would not be correct. And likewise, we would also have to start saying that the mothers of the wives of the messenger are the grandmothers of the believers. right? We'd have to start extending the ruling and going in all different directions and saying all these different things. So, uh, Ibn Taymi then says that however, those scholars who did say that Muawiyah is the uncle of the believers. They they know all this, right? They don't they don't intend to apply all of these rulings, right, to the mothers of the wives of the messenger and to the brothers of the wives of the messenger. But what they intended what they intended was merely to point out the fact that Muawiyah has a relationship by marriage to the messenger of Allah, and they mentioned this alongside many other virtues and excellences of Muawiyah For example, he was the writer of the Revelation He wrote Revelation He also used to ride with the Messenger of Allah <laughs> And this is from the angle of mentioning his virtues To mention his excellences Just like with Ali Radiallahu Anhu We know that there are some things that the Messenger said about him Which are not unique to him They apply to other people as well But he mentioned them about him For example, he said That I will give the flag To a man who loves Allah and his messenger And Allah and his messenger love him Meaning Ali Right? And he also said uh, He said uh, to Ali That do you not please Are you not pleased that you should be To me Like Harun was to Musa Right? So he mentioned these things and then the scholars, whenever they wanted to defend Ali, whenever they wanted to defend Ali radiallahu anhu, they would deliberately mention these things as a refutation of the Khawarij. Right? Because the Khawarij used to speak ill of Ali, they used to make takfir of him. So, in order to uh, defend Ali and to praise him and to mention some of his virtues, they would mention some of these things, but these things are not unique to Ali. Right? Because Ali is not the only man who loves Allah and His Messenger and whom Allah and His Messenger love him. Right? This also applies to Abu Bakr and Ulmar and Uthman, it applies to many other companions. So it's not unique to him. And um, so so in the same way, uh, as Ibn Taymiyyah says. That, أيضا, الله الله وسلم, right? likewise with Muawiyah, when he was also a companion and he had connection with the Messenger of الله الله وسلم, and some people came who began to declare him a disbeliever, to call him a disbeliever, and to call him a fasiq. And they used to make it lawful to curse him, right? To say, you know, uh, to to curse him, and similar to this. So therefore, إحتاج أهل العلم أن يذكر ما أن يذكر ما له من الاتصال برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ليرعى بذلك حق المتصلين برسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم بحسب درجاتهم. Uh, to the end of what he said. So basically, Ibn Taymiyyah is saying that in the same way with Ali. When people used to declare him to be a disbeliever, like the Khawarij, then the scholars would mention praises of, of him, and certain traits and qualities that were praised, which other people also had as well, weren't this unique to him. And similarly with Muawiyah, because the Rafidah used to declare him to be a disbeliever, and a Fasiq, and used to invoke curses upon him, then they would go out of their way deliberately to mention certain qualities which are not unique to him right like he's the uncle of the believers he wrote the revelation he did the first sea expedition he you know and many other other things but they are but some of these things are not unique to him right there other people apply to them as well so this is something that the scholars obviously uh, discussed but the the correct view is that we don't generally we don't say Muawiyah is the uncle of the believers Or anybody else for that matter Like the sons of Abu Bakr Or the sons of Abu We don't say that They are also the uncles of the believers We don't generally say this But If we are in a situation Where we want to mention The qualities of Muawiyah specifically To refute the Rafidah To refute the Shia And to refute anyone who speaks ill of him Then it is permissible in, in that situation To basically Mention certain things, which are not unique to him, but to other people, uh, to other people as well. So it's in this context that some of the scholars in the past they actually said that Muawiyah is the uncle of the believers, right? And this is why, when I mentioned uh, in, in in my talk, uh, this is why I said the same thing as well, because it was a context of mentioning all of his excellent qualities. Uh, all of the things that were mentioned about him Why? Because to, to refute the people Who basically speak ill of him Alright? So that's just a clarification from the uh, previous lesson uh, And so today we begin The explanation of the statement of Allah In Surah Al-An'am Al-An'a, Which is verse number 82 Verse number 82 In this verse, Allah He says الَّذِينَ uh, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ بِظُلْمِ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمَنُ وَهُمْ Which translates, the rough meaning, those who believe, those who believe, those who have Iman, and do not mix or confuse their Iman with dhulm, with oppression. With oppression. They are the ones who shall have safety. They are the ones who shall have safety and they are the ones who are guided. They are the guided ones. This verse in Surah Al An'am, what's the context behind this verse? This verse is in the context of the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And Ibrahim alayhi salam. A page, a page before this verse, a page before, Allah starts to mention the story of Ibrahim Islam when he uh, debated with his people. And his people, as you know, they were star worshippers. They used to worship the star, the sun, the moon. And they used to make idols as focal points for the worship of the stars. And so basically he had uh, debates and arguments with them and you know uh, the stars would appear and you know he would say is this is my lord you know like as a rhetorical you know and likewise the moon and the moon would disappear and the sun and the sun would disappear and he would say this is this is supposed to be my lord and so following these debates and arguments he basically freed himself from his people he said i have nothing to do with you and he said inni wajjahtu Right? So he freed himself, he said, I have turned my face to the one who created the heavens and the earth. Upright. And I am not from the polytheists. Right? And then the verses continue, how his people how he argued with his people and you know and then he basically said to them at the end of it. وكيف اخاف ما اشركتم ولا تخافون انكم اشركتم بالله ما لم ينزل به عليكم سلطانا فاي الفريقين احق بالامن ان كنتم تعلمون so he said at the very end how can i how can i fear those things which you are Committing shirk with how can I fear those things which you are sharing as partners with Allah? How can I fear them when you yourselves do not fear the fact that you are committing shirk with Allah? Committing shirk with Allah for that which He gave you no authority. So, which of the two parties are more worthy of safety if you truly know? Right, in other words. Ibrahim al-Islam, his argument, his hujja was that he said to those people, you are worshipping these idols, they can't hear, they can't see, they have no power, they have no ability, so how can I fear them? How and why should I fear them, which you believe in as your deities, right? which you think are going to harm me, which you think can harm me? How can I fear them when you yourselves do not fear the fact that you are committing shirk with Allah, so how can I fear them when you are not fearing the fact that you are committing shirk with Allah, right? So which of the two is which of the two of us, me or you? Which of the two is more worthy of safety? Which one is more safe? Who is who is safer, me, who worships Allah alone, the Lord, the Creator of the heavens and the earth? Or you who worship these idols who have no power, can't hear, can't see, uh, can't speak, can't you know benefit, can't harm, which of the two is more worthy of al-Aman? Right? Is it me or is it you right so this was the, the argument that he gave to them, and then straight after this verse, this is the next verse that we are mentioning here, right which is <coughs> al-ladina amanu. وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إيمانهم بظلم, uh, إيمانهم بِظُلْمٍ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الأمن وَهُمْ محتدون. right, Which is, those who believe, who have iman, and do not mix or confuse their iman with dhulm, with oppression. They are the ones who have safety, and they are the ones who are guided. Right? So this is the context of the verse. Right, So with Tawheed, with worshipping Allah, comes Al-Aman, safety. And with Shirk, comes fear, an absence of safety, right, in general. So we're going to look at the commentary of uh, Shaykh Ubaid upon this. And uh, the Shaykh begins by saying that the statement of Allah Azawajal, الَّذِينَ Amanu mentions here al iman so he says Al Maksud, Al what is intended in this verse is by Iman, Al Adina Amanu, Al Iman U Al Iman Which is the iman as it is defined and explained in the Sharia. Do you understand? Right? So this is important to understand because um, many of the words in the Arabic language before the Quran came they have or they had a linguistic meaning and then when the quran came it gave a shar'i meaning to those words right it basically added or it uh, gave some additional meanings to those specific words which now become the sharia meaning and this is why there's always a difference between the linguistic that there's a linguistic meaning and there can also be a shar'i meaning so here the word iman uh, In the language It simply means To trust Right To, uh, to have a tasbih, And to along with uh, Along with some degree of Al uh, aman or safety or trust along with it Right So it means to trust To accept and to trust But here When Allah says And he speaks of iman And mu'min And the believer This now has a Shari'i meaning What is that Shari'i meaning? How is that meaning defined? This is what Shaykh Ubaid explains to us next And so this is The understanding of Iman In the Shari'ah And with the Sahaba With the Messenger of Allah With the Sahaba With with those who came after them With Ahlul Sunnah It is as follows هو قول باللسان Aulum bin Lisan, it is to express with the tongue, to express with the tongue, wa'tihadum bil qalb, and to believe with the heart or belief in the heart. وعمل بالجوارح. وعمل بالجوارح. And then to act with the limbs, to act with the limbs, Yazidu Bitpara. It increases with obedience, and it decreases with disobedience. Right? So it's simple, there are five elements, there are five things, or so there are five parts. If you want to know the iman that Allah spoke of in the Quran, the reality of this iman, then it lies in these five things. And if you stick to these five things, this is the correct true understanding of iman in the view of ahlu sunnati wal Jama'a, right as opposed to those people who deviated and they made mistakes in this topic to repeat that again awlum bil lisan speech with the tongue wa bil uh, afwan wa bil qal belief in the heart wa bil and uh, action with the limbs it increases with obedience and it decreases with disobedience. So anyone who brings all of these things together, right, Iman is in his heart, truthfully in his heart, <coughs> and he expresses it with his tongue, and then he also acts with his limbs, right? He has now brought the reality of Iman, right? This is what is the true and real Iman. Now before we go any further, let's, let's stop here and just... Think um, when some of these things are missing, right? Let's take the example of, um, let's say there's a person who says "Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu And then outwardly, he also does some of the actions, right? So he prays and he fasts and he's with the Muslims. But in his heart. There is hypocrisy, there's nifaq He's not really, just like the hypocrites in the time of the messenger of Allah Right, they were with the believers, they were praying, they were fasting, they were going on jihad And they were saying with, with their tongue that we, you know, we testify, you are the messenger of Allah Can we say that they are believers? Are they believers? Are they believers? Why? What's missing? What's missing? Belief of the heart is missing, Right? This is, this is wrong, right? However, there were, there were some Muslims who came and they mistakenly said that Iman Iman is only what is on the tongue. These are the Karramiyya. Karra is sect called the Karramiyya. There were some Hanafis in the 3rd in the century Hijra. Hanafi Karramiyya. They said, Iman is merely what you say with your tongue. So if you just simply say "Ashhadu an illallah," right, irrespective of what's in here, you have now entered into iman. You are now a believer. This is false. This is not true. This is incorrect. Okay. Now, another situation: if a person says um, inwardly, "I know that." The messenger is the messenger of Allah, and I know that the Quran is, is from Allah. And that's it. He doesn't express the, the shahada thing with his tongue. Is this person a believer? No. No. Is this person a believer? What's missing? Testification. Yeah, testification. And entering into this category, for example, um, just having me a knowledge, either Il Ma'rifa, or Tasdiq, right? Doesn't make you a believer. Is Iblis a believer? Is Iblis a believer? According to this definition he would be a believer. Because he had knowledge that the messenger is the messenger of Allah and he knows Allah is the Rabbi, he knows the he knows all of this. But is he a believer? Of course he's not a believer. He's a disbeliever. So, mere knowledge, mere ma'rifah, knowledge, or even tasdir is not sufficient. Did the Jews know that the Messenger of Allah was the Messenger of Allah? Yes. 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 Did they know the Quran was from Allah? Of course they did. They, they knew it. Right? And they even inwardly knew it was true, and they might have even inwardly believed it. Right? But they didn't express it because of arrogance or because of whatever reason. Does this make them believers? No. No. It doesn't make them believers. Right? So, neither having knowledge in the heart, nor even believing that the messenger is true. For example, there could be a man who says, yes, I know the messenger is true, uh, and I know that the Qur'an is true, but Islam is not for me. Islam is not for me because I don't want to leave my forefathers, or I don't want to... I, I can't give up drinking, alcohol, fornication. I'm too attached to that and I can't give that up. I, 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 this message of this Prophet is not for me. Even though he knows inwardly, yes, I know you are a Prophet. I know this is the Qur'an, it's from Allah, but it, it's not for me. Does this person become a believer? Does he become a believer? No. According to some groups or some astray people like Jahan bin Safwa, Right? According to him, these people would be perfect believers. Why? Because belief is only in the heart. But this cannot be correct, right? Because we know that the, the, the Jews, they they inwardly they knew he was the messenger of Allah, right? And there were many people uh, like the prophet's uncle. You know, he knew that his nephew was the messenger of Allah, but he but he couldn't abandon the ways of his forefathers. He couldn't leave, he felt it was basically dishonorable to leave your tribe and the religion of your tribe, and it was dishonorable, right? And so he didn't, he didn't abandon kufr and enter into Islam, even though he knew that the Messenger was the Messenger, the Qur'an is from Allah, and he even shielded and, and defended and protected the Messenger of Allah, that still didn't make him a believer. Right, so what is in the heart only that cannot be the definition of iman. Right, you can't say iman is only what's in the heart, this is not true. And finally, there's uh, another situation where some people said that iman is. Well, actually, I'll have to explain to you the reason why these people said that in a minute. But some people said, Iman is basically when you believe in the heart, and then you express with the tongue, right? So you know the messenger is the messenger. You know the Quran is the truth from Allah. And you know that to worship Allah alone is what the messengers call to. You agree and you accept it is true. So you know that in your heart. And then you say, you testify this. And then after this, nothing else happens after this. Right? Nothing else happens after this. No praying, no fasting, right? No giving zakah, no making hajj, no righteous deeds, no being good to your parents. Like basically, there's absolutely nothing. There's, there's nothing that emanates and comes from you of good deeds. Right. Is this possible? Is this possible? Can this situation can there be true iman in this type of situation? Yes no. or no? No. Yes or no? No. No. It's it's not it's not possible. Why is this? It's because it means that it's it's the, the iman is not genuine. I gave the example I think here or somewhere else before. Imagine a man says In my heart, my heart is overflowing with love for my wife and for my children. Let's imagine someone says says this, right? But, not a single expression of love with his tongue, nor a single action of love from his limbs has ever come from that person can can that situation be true can these two things be true at the same time right like a man says uh, like for example a man is named jawad right this is the difference between the creation and the creator when the creator is named with a name right that name is true and he possesses that quality right so allah is generous he is karim right the name is true But just because a man is called Kareem, does that mean he's generous? Does it automatically mean he's generous? Just because a man is called Jawad, meaning generous, does that mean he's actually generous? No. In the same way, just because a man says that, you know, I love my children, I love my wife, or I am a very generous person, does that mean he's a generous person? And if we have never, ever, ever, ever if If not a single act of charity or generosity ever occurred from him, can we say that he is indeed generous? Can we say that? Is that true or not? Can we say that or not? No. Yes sir we can't can we so likewise, if a person says, "I believe with my heart and I believe with my tongue and obviously th- there are some situations which are exceptions, right? Imagine someone says. Uh, Someone becomes a Muslim And then basically Five minutes after he dies uh, Five minutes after he becomes a Muslim He dies This man never had the chance to act Right? He never had the chance to act So for him The Iman which was Obligatory upon him He fulfilled it He died, he has fulfilled The Iman which was wajib upon him So he died as a believer Who completed the Iman that was obligatory upon him in his situation. But imagine a person, is a, he's lived 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. A man has lived for 50 years. And you know he, he, in, in those 50 years, he's never done any good deeds, never prayed, never fasted. Can we say this, can, you know, can, can this be genuine Iman? Simply not possible. It's not possible. Right? A man lives for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. He lives among the Muslims. He's the Adhan. You know, he hears the speech of the scholars and he basically, you know, claiming to be a believer. Not one single instance of any deed has ever emanated from him. This is a proof of the absence of the Iman he claims to be in his heart. Right? This is because there is talazum تَلَازُمْ بَيْنَ الْظَاهِرُ وَالْبَاطِنِ The inward and the outward is basically tied like this. You cannot separate the, true, the, the two. You can't separate between the two. If, there is over, if the heart is overflowing in Iman, then outwardly you should see overflowing deeds. Right? And if you see no deeds on the outside, it means that the heart is also empty or deficient in Iman. Right. This is this is uh, this is the reality that we find that is pointed out and explained and described in the Quran and in the Sunnah. Right. So, iman is as as we have in this definition. It is the statement of the tongue. It is belief in the heart, and it is actions according to the limbs. Right. This is the definition of iman. With the people of the sunnah, Iman can also increase. So, when you increase in good deeds, when you increase in the actions of the heart, your love increases, your fear of Allah increases, your reliance upon Allah increases, your hope in Allah increases, right? Then your Iman increases as well. And likewise, when you make dhikr, every time you make dhikr, are uh, you enjoying the good and you prohibit the evil, right? Your, uh, your, your Iman increases as well Right, so Individual deeds They increase your Iman Conversely, when you commit a sin When you commit sins And you fail to fulfill your obligations Then your Iman Decreases, right So the believers are not all the same The believers are not all the same That clear If Iman Was only on the tongue would there be any difference between the believers? Every believer would be the same, right? Because Iman now is just to say La ilaha illallah. So because everybody said it, everyone is now equal. Can this be true? No. Of course it's not true. Because the believers are not all the same. I mean, are we the same as Abu Bakr? No. Because Abu Bakr said La ilaha illallah and we say La ilaha illallah. So therefore, this shows that Iman cannot be just something you say on, on the tongue. Right? Is iman only just to believe in the heart in Allah, the angels, the books, the messengers, the last day, and al-Qadar, the good and the evil? Because if it is, there will be no difference between us and Abu Bakr and Omar and Uthman and Ali, and because we are believing the same things. So this obviously cannot be true. It cannot be true, right? Iman is not just the, what the tongue says nor what the heart believes rather action action of the heart and action of the limbs right the action of the heart and action of the limbs these two are connected the actions of the heart are like love fear hope reliance and so on and so forth and outwardly it is the physical deeds that we do the action of the heart is tied to the action of the limb the inward and the outward this is the the essential part of Iman. Some groups they did not include this in Iman. They didn't include this in Iman. And if you don't include these things in Iman, that means all of us are equal to Abu Bakr in Iman. And to Umar. Right? This is not true. Right? So so actions are from the reality of Iman. Actions are from the reality of Iman. Whoever expels actions from Iman, whoever comes and says, oh, actions are not from Iman, it's only what's in your heart and what's in your tongue. These people, uh, historically, they are known as murji'ah. Murji'a, a sect called the murji'ah. Right? Which means those who expel actions from Iman. But this is not true. Actions are from the reality and from the essence of Iman. So this is the first thing that we learn in this verse. الَّذِينَ amanu. amanu." Those who believe. Which, which belief are we speaking of? Which Iman are we speaking of? Is it the Iman that the Qur'an came with? And which is the Iman as understood by Ahlul Sunnah, Wal-Jama'ah, al Salaf, Or is it the Iman of Jiham bin Safwan? Right? Or the asharis, iman is only tasdik in the heart. Or the karramiyya, iman is only what you say with your tongue. Right? It's, it's, it's none of that, right? It is the iman that we have defined here. al iman al-shar'i. So, this is the first point. Then the shaykh goes on to say, al amanu this is the first quality, walam yalbisu walam imanahum bidhuln. And those who do not mix, right? Do not confuse or mix. Yalbisu meaning yach meaning to mix. Bidul. What is a This word a What is the meaning? What is the definition of zul? Right? Zul, as the Sheikh explains, is wadru Oppression is to put something in other than its proper place. This is the definition of dhulm, of oppression. It is when you put something in other than its proper place, right? And so this is like jawr, jawr, which is like oppression and tyranny. And, you know, it is to basically, to swerve away in terms of rulings that you make, judgments that you make, and in terms of dealings that you have. right? So in, in your judgments, in your pronouncements, and likewise in your dealings, you, you put things in other than their proper places. right? So you haven't acted uh, with, uh, with justice, you haven't put everything in its proper place, rather you have put it in other than its proper place. And this is the definition of oppression, injustice. So what does this then mean, right? bi-zul. Who is this describing? And what is this ظلم? right? We need to focus on this word, al So the Sheikh says that in this verse, if we look at the grammar of this verse if we look at the, the grammatical structure of this verse we see that thulm has been mentioned in the indefinite form in the indefinite form right and when we have this indefinite form preceded by a negation lam yalbisu. Then this means that the verse has a general meaning, right? It basically means uh, all oppression, all types of oppression. And when the companions, when they heard this verse, when they heard the Messenger of Allah saying, you know, th- this verse, this verse became very, very, very difficult upon them. Right? Because they, looking at just the wording of the verse, they correctly understood the verse in terms of the grammar of the verse, which means that, you know, those who believe and do not do any type of zulm whatsoever, any type of zulm, right? They are the ones... ...who have safety and they are the ones who are rightly guided. So when the companions heard this verse, they thought... ...we are perished. We are doomed. How can we be saved... ...when all of us, we fall into oppression? Who does not fall into oppression? Which person is that ...who does not fall into dhulm? Right? Dhulm meaning... ...because dhulm itself is of a number of types. The dhulm which relates to the haqq of Allah, firstly... So, oppression is of three types. The first type of oppression is as it relates to the right of Allah. The right of Allah. Right? So, you do not worship Him alone and you fall into uh, sin and transgression. The second is the right of the servants. Right? (laughs) So, you basically do not fulfill the rights of the servants. And the third type of oppression is the dhulm of the nafs, your own self. So, either you wrong your own self. By committing sins that pertain to yourself, or you commit oppression by uh, harming the servants, or you commit oppression by violating the right of Allah right? So the companions, when they read, when they heard this verse, they thought, "We are all doomed. We are finished," because which one of us, which one of us, does not fall into oppression? So they they went. Uh oh, they basically uh, they basically went to the Messenger of Allah as Ibn Masud explains, he says that when the statement of Allah was revealed, <laughs> this became very, very difficult upon the companions of the Prophet. So they came to him and they basically you know they, they basically said uh, you know like basically said We are destroyed Which one of us does not commit oppression So the messenger of Allah s.a.w. explained He said Lay Sadak, It is not as you understood it Alam tasma'u ila qawli al Have you not heard Have you not heard the statement of the righteous servant Meaning Luqman Salam. Then he quoted from surah Luqman إِنَّ الْإِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ Indeed, shirk is a mighty injustice. Right? So he explained this verse here in Surah anam with the verse in Surah al which means that the oppression which is being referred to here, those who do not mix their iman with oppression, it means shirk. Shirk. Those who do not mix their faith, their iman in Allah, with shirk, with polytheism, right, with idolatry, with worshipping others alongside Allah, right, erecting other deities alongside, you know, Allah. And likewise, also, uh, it enters into this also minor shirk as well, such as ar-riya showing off and other other similar things. So, so. The messenger of Allah, he corrected. The, he gave the correct interpretation of the verse, which is that even though the wording of the verse suggests all type of oppression, all type of oppression, the correct meaning is that this actually is referring to only a specific type of oppression, right? Which is the oppression which is shirk which is to worship other than Allah, idolatry, polytheism, and all the other things that enter into, into, into that. So, the shaykh says, so therefore it becomes clear by way of the Qur'an itself, that the, the verse, even though in its generality, it, it is general, what is actually intended by this verse is something very specific. Meaning, that it, it, it intends a specific type of oppression, not the general type of oppression. right? Otherwise, nobody would enter into this at all. Um, so the shaykh says, this is important to understand. We must have a correct understanding of the Qur'an and its meanings by referring back to the Qur'an, by referring back to the Messenger of Allah. S. And if we don't do this, then we will fall into mistakes. And the shaykh mentions a point here is that you see some people... Who basically they uh, give sermons and they admonish the people and they interpret interpret the verse upon its general meaning. And the effect this has is that you basically lead people to despair. right? Just like the companions initially wrongly understood, they thought, which one of us does not fall into oppression? We are doomed. How can we ever be saved? It shows that if you do not have the right understanding of the Qur'an And then you go and start speaking to the people You can destroy the people Because now you're giving the impression to the people That you know, they can never ever be, be saved Because which one of us does not commit oppression, right? Uh, you know, so, so the companions, their understanding was corrected By the Messenger of Allah And they also referred back to the Messenger of Allah When they had a, a misconception in any case so um, so this is the first half of the interpretation of the verse, the first half of the verse. Then the Shaykh was on to mention the second half of the verse and he says uh, that Allah he says, says, al aman wahum muhtadun. Right? So the first part is describing the two qualities Al iman, the iman which is Sahih, the correct iman. And the second is the absence of zulm. The absence of zulm is shirk, polytheism, idolatry, and its forms and types. What is the consequence of that to a believer? It is. Right? So there are a number of points upon this. The first point is that the safety and the security in this verse that has been mentioned in this verse the scholars and the people of knowledge mention that it is of two types Al-Aman in this ayah Al-Abnan is Al-Abnan is two types of uh, safety and likewise the guidance the Hidayah mentioned in this verse right those are the ones who have safety and those are the ones who are rightly guided the guidance is also of two types we're going to discuss what these two types are, right? So, so, what are the two types of safety? The first type of safety is for the person who dies upon Tawheed and he is free of sins, right? Meaning, it doesn't mean that he didn't commit sins, he probably committed sins, but he repented from his sins, right? So, he worshipped Allah alone, he singled out Allah in worship. Maybe he had sins, or may- maybe he was pious, and he didn't have any sins. Or maybe, you know, he-, he committed sins, but he also made tawbah, right? So he meets Allah without any sin with him. The safety that this person will have is, min Aman Min النَّارِ Right, This person is safe and secure from entering the hellfire at all. Right? This person is now safe, he will not enter the hellfire at all. This is the first type of safety. Right? And this is for the believer, the righteous, pious believer. Uh, he, he's righteous, pious, and he meets Allah without any sins. This does not mean he didn't commit sins in his life, maybe he committed sins, but he basically uh, repented, made istighfar, gave charity, uh, did many many things which cancel out his evil deeds. So he comes on Yomul qiyamah having nothing except good deeds. This person now will not enter a hellfire at all, at all. This is the perfect type of safety and security. Right? So this is the first type of Al-Aman. The second type of Al-Aman is a deficient type of safety. Right? And this is for the person who died as a, believer, as a believer but he met Allah with a major sin or major sins or lots of minor sins or whatever it might be. Now this person, he still does have safety. He still has safety. But what is this safety? The safety is that he will not, he he will have aman min al khulud finna. Meaning that he will not remain in the hellfire forever. Right? So the safety he has is a deficient type of safety. The safety he's given is that he will not remain in the hellfire forever. As opposed to the first type of safety, which is al aman. Uh, right? Which is that you will not enter into the hellfire to begin with at all So basically in this ayah then Al-aman mentioned is of two types Either it is perfect Or it is incomplete and deficient If it is perfect it means that you are saved from the hellfire You will be safe on Yom al-qiyamah You will not enter hellfire But if the aman is deficient Then you may enter half, Allah may forgive you from his mercy. You might not enter, but it, this is Allah's mashia, it is Allah's will. You may or you may not, but if you do, then you know you will not remain there in forever. And this is by virtue of the fact that you you know you, you are a believer, you are a muwahid, and the half obviously is forbidden for you to stay in there forever. So um the shaykh then brings us some evidence for this And the evidence is the statement of Allah <laughs> uh, That indeed Allah does not forgive That partners are associated with him <laughs> And he forgives what is less than that To whomsoever he wills Right? So this is a clear proof that Besides shirk, below shirk, Allah forgives everything, right? If you die upon shirk, Allah will not forgive that. But if you die upon tawheed and you were a, a, a drinker of alcohol, And you're a fornicator, or you're a gambler, or you were a thief, or whatever it might be, and you die upon this, you will still be forgiven. You you, you will be forgiven. So this is a, this verse here. Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partners are associated with Him in worship. But he forgives whatever is less than that to whomever he wills. Right? This is at the point of death. Obviously, if you commit shirk and you repent, Allah will forgive you. But if you die upon shirk, you will not be forgiven. But if you die upon Tawheed, along with many other sins, mountains of sins, then eventually, you know Allah Allah if He wills, He can forgive you, if He wills He will punish you, and if you are punished, then you will not be punished eternally, you will come out of uh, the hellfire. So, from this verse, Sheikh Ubaid says that this second verse that we have just read, it is very clear that people on the day of judgment will be of two types. The first type of person is the one mata al-shirk, uh, the one who dies upon shirk. He will not be forgiven. So this includes all of the people uh, from the people of disbelief who died upon shirk, right? From the Yahud, the Nasara, the Mushrikeen, the polytheists of very types. Of Various types, and likewise, the, the, the atheists they are from the category of the mushrikeen, they are polytheists. Uh, they are polytheists in the sense that they uh, ascribe, they make you know, matter and material uh, to have the qualities and attributes that belong to Allah. That's all they are doing, right? So, all of these are categories of the mushrikeen, so uh, they die upon shirk as well. So, they are from that category, and the second category are those who basically are under the will of Allah. right? So obviously they've met Allah with sin, with disobedience. They're people of Tawheed, but they meet Allah with sin and disobedience. If Allah wills, He will forgive them. If Allah wills, He will enter them into paradise through His mercy. right? And um, He may punish them, or He may forgive them, either through intercession of the angels, the prophets, and the righteous, or even without intercession, through His pure mercy He may forgive those people. Right? So these are the two categories of people on Yom Al-Qiyamah based upon this verse here that we just read from Surah Al-Nisa. And then finally, the Sheikh mentions the two types of guidance, right? Al-Aman is very clear in this ayah now. As for the two types of guidance, the Sheikh says, Likewise, there is Hidayah Tamah. There is complete and perfect guidance. Complete and perfect guidance. This is synonymous with complete and perfect security. They go hand in hand. Right? So if you have complete safety, it means you had complete guidance. If you have complete guidance, it means you have complete safety. Right? Complete guidance means Allah protected you from shirk. He protected you from major sin. Protected you from from innovation to protect you from deviation, and when you meet him, you meet him basically either with you know uh, with with no sins or with sins that that he will forgive, and stop you from entering into hellfire, and the, so this is hidayah tamma, and then then there is also the second type of hidayah hidayah naqisa, which is the deficient type of guidance. So this also is tied to the deficient type of safety, right? So it's perfect guidance with perfect security. Imperfect guidance, imperfect safety. Right? All of this is on the basis of you, your deeds, your sins, your disobedience, your righteous deeds, how you meet Allah on your Qiyam. Right? Which, depending on that, depends what you have. Perfect guidance, perfect safety. Incomplete guidance, incomplete safety. So, uh, after this, the Shaykh then goes on to. Uh, conclude his discussion, now that all of this is very clear, Amanu, We know the meaning of Iman, the Iman as defined in the Sharia, not the Iman of the Murjia, or the Iman of Jahan bin Safwan, or the Iman of the Karramiyah, or the Iman of the, uh, the Murjia. No, the Iman according to the Quran and Sunnah. bi uh, What is Dhulm? Right? Thulm, uh, in its br- very general sense, means to put something in other than its proper place. This can occur in three ways. Where you violate the haqq of Allah, or you violate the haqq of the servants of Allah, or you oppress your own soul by committing sins, by committing sins which harm it. Right? But in this verse, it is not the general zulm which is intended. It is only the zulm that is specific, which is the shirk with Allah. That specifically is what is intended in that verse. Otherwise, nobody would enter into this verse because who is not free from sinning against his soul and even, you know, uh, committing oppression against the, you know, uh, others, for, you know, for failing in his rights, right? So it is referring to a specific uh, type of dhul which is shirk with Allah azza wa jal. And then after this, a person receives al-aman. <coughs> Al-Aman can be Safety from entering the hellfire At all Or it can be safety From remaining in the hellfire forever And likewise Guidance is of two types Synonymous with these two types of safety It is either complete guidance Where Allah gives you tawfiq In ilm and and amal Or it is deficient Guidance right, Uh, Whereby you fall short And so after this the shaykh then is Going to make just one one final point, which is, which is, how do we and we'll so I will establish the prayer after this uh, after this final point, which is, how do we as Muslims view the sinful Muslim, the sinful Muslim, right? This is something that has happened in history, and people went astray in knowing. The ruling of the sinful Muslim, right? And uh, with, this is what we call in the Arabic language, Al-Fasiq Al-Milli. Al-Fasiq Al-Milli. This means the sinful religious person, right? The sinful believer. Fusahul Muwahideen, Right? The sinful people among the people of Dawhid. What is the correct way to look at these people? Do we say... Do we say, for example, that they are disbelievers outside the fold of Islam who will burn in hellfire forever? As the Khawarij say, is that what we say? Just because they entered into sin? Or do we say they are righteous, pious believers, complete and perfect in their Iman, equal to Abu Bakr and Umar? We don't say that either. right? If we do not understand Iman correctly, we will fall either in this direction or we will fall into this direction. Do you understand? Like if we say that iman is only something you say with a tongue, that means we've now declared every single person who says La ilaha illallah to be a perfect, complete believer equal to Abu Bakr and Umar and even the hypocrites are perfect and complete believers Why? Because we've made Iman just to be something you say with your mouth. So this obviously can't be correct. And similarly, if we say that if a believer commits a major sin, he drinks, he gambles, he fornicates, he steals, he lies, whatever. And we say, well, you know, it's impossible for him to commit a sin while there is Iman in his heart. So if he committed the sin, there must be no Iman in his heart. Therefore, he must be a disbeliever, and therefore, this means he will be in the hellfire forever. This is the way of the Khawarij, the Khawarij, right? The extremists, right? And so, this only happens if you say, if you say that you know, uh, iman is only action, right? And if you fall short in action, then the whole of iman has disappeared from you. You haven't brought all of iman. Therefore, you are now a disbeliever. This is also wrong. So this issue. Happened historically, happened at the very beginning With the Khawarij The Khawarij, right? Who fought against Ali, who fought against Uthman Who, who killed uh, Uthman, radhiallahu And then Ali after him right? And they, they exaggerated right? And they began to expel Muslims for, who committed sins from, from Islam And then another group came along The Murji'a, and they said They are obviously wrong They are obviously wrong and you know, if they're making takfir of Muslims and they are wrong, it must mean the actions can't be from Iman So, they counted one mistake with another mistake Do you understand? Right? This also shows the danger that when you refute falsehood You have to refute it upon knowledge and not refute it with another falsehood Right. So you don't go to the other extreme So this group said, a Muslim who drinks, is a kafir, outside the fold of Islam Why? Because they said, if he had Iman in his heart, he wouldn't have drunk. So if he's drunk, therefore he cannot have Iman in his heart. But this is not true. This is not true. Because a believer can be sinful, and he can have Iman, and he can also be sinful, right? So when these people started expelling Muslims from the fold of Islam, another group looked and said, how come they are expelling Muslims from the fold of Islam, right? They are, they are expelling them on the basis of actions that they are doing Like, you know, drinking So, this must mean that actions can't really be from the reality of iman And iman can only be what's in the heart and what you say with the tongue Right, so now they've made a mistake, right? They've, they've tried to refute that mistake And they've refuted it with another mistake Right? And so this, this, this is because of lack of knowledge and lack of proper understanding. So, this issue of the sinful Muslim, what is his status in Islam? And the correct thing is that we say, Mu'min bi Imanihi, farsiqun bi kabiratihi. Right? We say that he is obviously a believer on account of his Iman, but he is a sinner by way of his sin. These two things can coexist at the same time. There's no conflict between the two. Right? person can be a believer and be deficient in his iman and also be a sinner at the same time. Right? This type of exaggeration, when we basically. Uh, let me give you an example. In the time of the Messenger of Allah, there used to be a man who used to be a habitual drinker. Right? He used to drink And he used to be known by the label of you know, Himal, donkey right? And once he was brought to the messenger of Allah <laughs> He'd been drinking And he was given the punishment He was punished And some of the companions were watching And they said, may Allah curse this man right? out, out of anger And out of ghira for the religion They said, may Allah curse this man and the messenger of sin prohibited, prohibited them and said, "Indeed, this is a man who loves Allah and loves His messenger." So here you can have a man who habitually falls into sin, and he can also be one who loves Allah and His messenger. There's no there's no contradiction between these two, right? So this shows that there can be many, many believers who, inside their hearts, they have a genuine love for Allah's messenger. But they are put to trial by way of worldly things, by way of the shahawat which they fall into every now and then, right? It doesn't mean that the they, they iman is negated from them, nor does it mean that we say that they are believers perfect and complete in their iman. Rather we describe the reality as it is, that this is a believer with iman sinful on account of his sin. And this, why are we able to say this? It is because we, as people of the Sunnah, we say, belief, uh, Iman, is belief, speech, and action. It can increase and it can decrease, right? Because Iman is not like one thing. Iman is not a single entity. It's either there or it's not there. This is the way of the Khawarij and the Murji'a, right? Rather, Iman to us is divisible. Iman is divisible, right? The, The hadith of the Messenger of Allah, uh, the Iman consists of 70 odd branches. The highest of it is the statement, La ilaha illallah. And the lowest of it is to remove something harmful from the floor. Right? This shows that Iman, uh, all the different actions of Iman, the prayer is from Iman, fasting is from Iman, uh, zakah is from Iman, hajj is from Iman, being righteous to the parents is from Iman, and all the various of the good deeds. These are individual good deeds. Iman is divisible Iman is divisible Therefore Iman is subject to increase And it is subject to decrease Therefore not all the believers are equal Not all the believers are equal Right? They will have different ranks in paradise And a sinful Muslim remains a believer deficient in his Iman The Sheikh goes on to mention some evidences for this very quickly He says for example uh, to support the early verse, مَن لَقِيَ اللَّهُ لَا يُشْرِكُ بِهِ dakhala دَخْلَ الْجَنَّةِ Whoever meets Allah, without having committed shirk, he will enter paradise. Right? Even if he's committed sins, he will enter paradise, as long as he has not committed shirk. And likewise, مَن مَاتَ وَهُوَ يَدْعُ من, مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ نِدَّنِ دَخَلَ النَّارِ Whoever dies... Whilst he is calling upon rivals to Allah, partners to Allah, he will enter the hellfire. Woman mata, and then Ibn Mas'ud, he added, he said, and from myself I say, Woman matta la yad'u lillahi niddan, dakhla al And the one who dies and who does not call, you know, worship and invoke a, a, a partner or a rival with Allah, then he will enter into paradise. Right? So, this is a matter that is unanimously agreed upon uh, with Ahlul Sunnah that the sinful Muslim will enter into paradise eventually, uh, even if he's punished first, or even if he's forgiven by Allah's pure mercy, he will enter into paradise. So, with this, we hold a correct and a true position with respect to the Muslims in general, right? We are not like the extremists or the terrorists or the, you know, and then the Shaykh goes on. Finally, just one paragraph, he mentions That from this, he says I warn you, from the books Of philosophy, and the Books of, you know, the the Books of uh, uh, al fikriya, the, the books of ideology Like the books, for example, of Sayyid Qutb, uh, this is A man who came and he revived This ideology of The Khawarij, he basically put Forward a thesis in his books, he basically Said that today all of the Muslims have reverted back to the jahiliyyah Of the pagan Arabs right? We've gone back to the pre-Islamic times And everyone has basically become an apostate Because they say "La ilaha illallah, They don't understand its meaning They don't act upon its necessities And so therefore in order to bring Islam back again To make Islam present again Because it is absent, it is not here Then we need to basically uh, revolt and make a revolution against all authorities and remove them through violent revolutions and then you know establish islam again right he brought this basically uh, ideology he revived the way of the khawarij he basically negated the islam of the whole muslim ummah and from his books from his books came like al-ikhwan al-muslim al-muslimun the muslim brotherhood and from them came other offshoots like hiszbul tahrir, and then you know in more recent times, the more extreme groups like you know al Qaeda, the ISIS things like that all of this all of this comes from this type of uh, extremist way of thinking, uh, which, which basically expels Is- uh, Muslims and likewise the, the, the Muslim authorities uh, from Islam and basically promotes this uh, you know extremism and terrorism and so on and so forth so to have a correct understanding of Iman, first of all, as opposed to the Khawarij and the Murji'ah. And likewise, how do we view the sinful Muslim? What's the status of the sinful Muslim? This is very, very crucial to understand. And this is what the Shaykh, Shaykh Ulay, has explained, was in light of this verse of Surah Al-An'am. yalbisu uh, wahum so as I said, this was in the context of uh, Ibrahim Salam, and uh, with that we'll conclude our lesson there for today inshallah. Uh, this is also the end of this particular lesson, uh, this short dars of the shaykh. In the next lesson we are going to look at the hadith or the famous hadith, you've heard of this, where the messenger of the said to the muhajireen to beware of five things, right? The five things. Um, it's the hadith of Abdullah bin Umar uh, where he said that never do the people engage in open uh, shameful deeds except that diseases arise among them that were not in their forefathers. And never do the people cheat in the weights and measures except that Allah inflicts them with uh, poverty, famine, and the tyranny of the ruler. Right? This hadith, there are five things that the Messenger mentioned. Sheikh Ubaid has given like uh, an explanation of this hadith and inshallah we will uh start looking at that in the next lesson inshaAllah. So today we can today alhamdulillah Rabbil alamin wa sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi.